Hello, Graham Norton here on the Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose for another podcast. Let's get the show on the road. Musician, actor and now writer Martin Kemp chats about his new book, The Game. Ruth Maidley is here to talk about Doctor Who's 60th anniversary show. Show chef Martha is wrestling with a ta-ta-ta. And Maria McCurlin has selected a couple of your dilemmas to solve in Graham's Guide. So let's start with her. How was the big signing yesterday? Were there queues around the block? There, darling, there were. Thank you very much to all the people that came for the to the club for actors in Bedford Street. Um, it, lovely, really nice. You can hear my voice this morning. I did too much talking, Graham. That's the problem. I don't have enough words left this morning. Just saying, thank voice... you, darling, over and over again. <laughs> yes, thank you so much. Thank you. How are you? Um, I have to say special thanks to Sally and Kevin who heard us on the show and came and bought a copy. And we're off to see Private Lives with Patricia Hodge and Nigel. Nigel Havers. Thank you. <laughs> My brain is a little scrambled this morning, Brian. I'm calling you now, Brian. Wow. Excellent. I got in the shower. Do you ever do this? Got in the shower this morning and I stood under the shower and I just went, uh. Oh. <laughs> That's the sort of thing. Yes. But no, all good. Lovely to talk to you. And hey, did you watch Strictly last night? Angela Scanlon's Argentine tango, Argentine tango, was sensational. She She's been on a journey, hasn't she? She's been on a journey. Oh, my goodness, those legs. I mean, it was really hot as Hades, that um, Argentine tango. It was fabulous. And, of course, it was from the Tower Ballroom yesterday, so bouncy floor, all of that. Yeah. But I don't know. I think I have to say with my Strictly Judge hat on, Graham, I think Angela Rippon's time may be up. She may have finished her last yes. news round. Uh, taxi um, for Rippon. Taxi for But Rippen. I don't know who else will be in the dance hall. Can you illuminate? Um, I imagine old uh, Nigel, because I think it's bottom of the bottom. Of the, oh, mind you, he performed last. Who was on first? Bobby Thingy. Um, but everyone loves Bobby Thingy. So, yes, uh, Bobby Brazier. Yes. Yeah. I think Nigel might be in the dance off, but I think he'll be safe. Oh, he will. Because he got. And then to, if, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's I, Angela's time because she's in the bottom two every week, and this week she's also on the bottom of the leaderboard. So the judges can just go to go, well, fair cop, gov, bye. Um, yeah. I think I think there was a real they wanted to get her to Blackpool because it's a nice story, you know, the full circle moment of Angela returning to uh, the Blackpool ballroom after being the host and all that sort of stuff. So it was lovely. But did you, I don't know if you noticed, in the opening sequence, which was fantastic when those guys... Oh, Johannes, what is he like? So, so good. Um, But the the celebrities were also in that number. And I did notice Angela, yes. Yes, she didn't look... I mean, she. you just thought, oh, please let her go home now. It, she just looked Aww. exhausted. Poor yes. thing. Yes, well, it's hard I mean, and she is 79. And to get to Blackpool is really an achievement at 79. And she's clearly popular <laughs> with the older people, even though you say they don't have phones. Well, clearly she's in the um, bottom two every week. <laughs> well, for the last couple of weeks, yes. So it's time. It is time now. But really, the rest of the board, Graham, it's, it's you could get a piece of paper through them all they're so good you really really could um i mean <laughs> Leighton is nuts it's so good 
It's so good. It's crazy. And it's almost embarrassing that they have to find something that was wrong. Well, Craig does. Craig Revel Horde has to find something that was wrong, saying that they were out of sync. I watched that again and I thought, what? He's obviously been told to just, you know, mark them down for something. It might be just that, you know, your lipstick was a bit smudged or yeah. whatever. Also, it's it a bit wasn't. early. It's a bit early for 40s. I feel a bit, uh, you know, because <sighs> we've got to go somewhere. We've got, to, you know, the stakes must build. And then in the final, everyone gets 40s for everything. Even if they kind of break a leg, they get 40s. Ooh, I have a recommendation as well. Oh, yes. It's on Apple, 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 oh, I, I think. Um, so, yes, it's a TV thing. Um, Hijack with Idris of Your Elba. And uh, he is really sensational in it. And it's filled with suspense and jeopardy. And as you would see by the title, it is about, indeed, a hijack. Have you seen it? No, I heard, and I heard, no. Well, I watched it because I was trying to stay awake for an interview at quarter past 11, so I thought that would be quite a good thing. I did the Joe Good show at quarter past 11 last night um, from my bed, I will have to say. Sell and, that book, baby. Oh, my goodness. And another one at 3 a.m. when I got up to speak to India. And then, <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. I'm joking. Uh, right, rest your eyes for a few moments. Virgin Radio. Are you ready for my first problem? It's a short one. Oh, great. Short but not so sweet. Okay. Dear Graham and Maria, my husband burps really loudly all the time. He says he can't help it and he doesn't know when it's going to happen. It's not just once or a small burp. It's a massive one and three or four in a row. He does it in the pub and walking down the street. I find it horrific and disrespectful and keep asking him to go to the doctors to get it sorted. But he refuses. It's really distressing me and I really don't want to kiss him. (laughs) What can I do? And that is from Carol in Gateshead. Oh, Carol in Gateshead. I mean... Although I have a sneaking respect for your husband for being able to do that. That was something of a coup when I was at school to be able to burp. Um, No, seriously, uh, on the barometer of what is sexy, I don't think burping even makes uh, makes it to the bottom. It's so bad. But what your husband has got into here, Carolyn Gates said, is a habit. He's got into a habit of doing this because I don't think he... You know, when he stands in front of his boss for a performance review, I don't think he does three or four massive burps in a row saying, I don't know when it's going to happen. This is a habit that he's got into. It's almost like a sort of little tick. And sometimes those things can be comforting to us if we're in stressful situations or, um, you know, finding something hard. So um, he can break this habit. I mean, presumably you've got cupboards full of Gaviscon and the like, I would sort of say to him, Carolyn Gates said, listen, mate, it might be that there's something serious going on here. And I would like you to go to the doctors because I don't want to lose you and I want to get it sorted because we can't go on with you burping in company, burping in the pub, doing this, uh, you know, really massive and rather unpleasant things to do. It's rude. It's very rude. So, I mean, men... Sorry to um, say men are worse, but they are at going to the doctors. They don't want to kind of, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That's the attitude. But something may well be broke. So I would say, ultimatum time, Carol, you must go to the doctors. I'm worried it's something unpleasant. And also, 
you are unpleasant and I don't want to kiss you. Graham? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, isn't it? This is attention-seeking. He's doing it because Carol <laughs> reacts to it. That's why he's doing it. You know, it's like, it reminds me of those people who sneeze, those huge explosive sneezes and go, oh, I can't help it. Yes, you can. And what I would say to Carol's husband is, if the most interesting thing <laughs> about you... There you go. If the most interesting thing about you is that you burp really loudly, then really think again. I mean, it is a physical, it's it's a physical manifestation of a novelty tie or socks with amusing <laughs> pictures on them. It's just, just stop it. Just stop it. And I think what Carol, somehow you need to communicate to him that he thinks this is funny or trivial and you don't. You will eventually not just fall out of love with him, you will grow to hate him and want to kill him if he keeps doing this. I think she's this. quite close to that already. Yeah. Graham. I think she's, she's getting there, isn't she? But what about the fact that it could be something serious? I it's mean, I'm so not. A not. Doctor, but... It is so not. He's just a big, okay. guzzly man. He's downing pints and now he's just burping on the way home. And it annoys her. And, and he ought to listen to her and hear yeah. how much it upsets her and, uh, and you know, act accordingly. And I'm guessing, Graham, that they're not in their first flush of love because <laughs> these are the sort of things that you start to do. You know, these are the sort of habits that you think, oh, it's only Carol, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's his way of saying, I love you. I'm so relaxed in your company. Um, <laughs> That I'm going it's rude. To, yeah. It's rude and disrespectful. You're absolutely right, Carol. Divorce. Yeah, there we go. I think we've solved this. Uh, great. Okay, yeah. brilliant. Okay. That, that was quick. Oh, that was... Uh, I mean, I wasn't sure we were going to be able to do it, Maria. But yes, we've... we've yeah, they should definitely... Uh, have Sometimes they're challenging, but then an answer just comes to you, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, just uh, divorce. That's what you should do. And my favourite responders today will be getting... Ho, ho, ho. Uh, so number one, brown butter mince pies with... Cognac. That's what they were missing. Six individual mince pies with brown butter pastry with a rich mince meat containing vine fruits, cognac, brandy. Is that the same thing? Uh, Glacé cherries, almonds and apricots and dusted with sugar. Oh, lovely. Now, Fiona in Market Lavington in Wiltshire. It could just be horrible bad manners. But... Also, Maria, you were right. He really should get a check by a doctor. I work at a GP surgery, and this could be a symptom of divert, divert, divert disease. Yeah. A hiatus hernia, a gastric obstruction, and a number of other conditions. So really important to rule these out before then. Totally understandably saying how absolutely disgusting a habit it is and ultimatums at dawn. There you go. So check it out and then get annoyed. He's doing it because you're letting me get away with it. Put a boundary in, as this is clearly very upsetting to you. Make sure he respects it. If he doesn't, come back to Graham's Guide for advice about the consequences. Good luck! And that's from Karen in Hereford. Yes, this man might be making a bit more of the burping than necessary. There are ways of being polite, for goodness sake. However, it's quite likely there's an issue. This is Sarah in Hackney. I had a similar thing a few years ago. Although I hope that I was more discreet. Here's the thing, Sarah. I bet you were. I bet you didn't turn it up to ten and got to go, oh, listen to me, aren't I hilarious? And after much stress trying to work out why, it turned out I had hiatus hernia. Very popular. Who knew I'd say that word twice today? And gastritis. 
Not much fun, but easily controlled and sorted with the right meds and diet. Get him to go to the doctor and preferably a gastro specialist. Work for me and get him to learn some manners too. I mean, that's the thing. Even if it is a medical thing, cool your heels, sir. Calm it down. Uh, Carol should record her husband's disgusting burping and start playing it back when they're in company stating this is what I have to contend with day after day. Maybe embarrassing him will demonstrate to him how awful it is. So says Jane in St. Helens. Well, I think there's only one person who can get the brown butter mince pies with cognac, and that's Sarah in Hackney, now that she's had her hiatus hernia and a gastritis solved. Graham's Guide. Ooh. <laughs> now, here's, here's problem number two. Dear Graham and Maria, my parents separated 37 years ago after my father had an affair which wrecked our close family and took me a good couple of years to get over. But I did. Then, 14 years ago, my twins were born and all the emotions, old emotions of my parents separating came flooding back and have never gone away. My mother doesn't want to discuss the past and my father has refused to have anything to do with me for the last 35 years. His new wife has stopped contact. How can I move on from my feelings of loss, anger and frustration with my father? I turned 50 this week and this is from Rob in Norfolk. Rob in Norfolk, I mean... I want to say to you, this was 37 years ago. I know you were only 13 and that is an incredibly difficult time for a teen, an adolescent to go through a, a breakup like this. It was your breakup as well as your parents. But, you know, you can change the narrative, Rob. Um, you've got 14-year-old twins and you're presumably happily married and you're not going to have an affair unless somehow in the back of the, your mind you're worried that you're going to repeat something of the past. This is something clearly, Rob, when you say I got over it, then I did couldn't get over it, but I did. Well, you haven't in, in some ways. I would say to you, it's a shame and very sad that your father doesn't want to have anything to do with you. But I would write things down, Rob, from Norfolk. I would write, I'm not saying you've got to send it yet, Write down your feelings to your father. This is a great way of getting things out that go round and round in your head all the time. Uh, write to your father, tell him how you feel, how you felt when you were 13, how you felt about your own children and you wanted them to have a relationship with him, etc. Just write it all down and see how mad it looks and then maybe tweak it and keep it and go back to it. And possibly, in you know, he, you, you can't get in touch with him necessarily, but you probably know his address, then possibly send him this. Once you've honed it, don't do it immediately and send it in anger, hone it, make it reasonable, try and see things from his point of view. There's clearly a lot of guilt on his side about this because, it, you know, to not speak to you for 35 years is a great shame. Your mother, on the other hand, she doesn't want to discuss the past. Listen, you can't force people to. If you need help with all of this, I would go and see a counsellor who may well help you write these things down, make some contact with your father. But you are not him. And it was 37 years ago. Change the narrative, Rob. Graham? I mean, it is heartbreaking, isn't it? Because you've got to think it's that collateral damage, isn't it? You know, this thing happened 37 years ago. And here is that that little boy is still hurting. 
all yeah. those all these years later and mm. and and now it's not just hurting him but it's also hurting these 14 year old twins because their dad is angry and frustrated and and mourning a loss it's awful rob i mean i do think you you at this stage you do need some help here you're going to have to talk to someone because it it's it's difficult the only thing i would say to you is whatever you do it needs to happen kind of unilaterally because your father is gone you're not going to have contact with him that is not going to happen don't don't kind of imagine a world where somehow this is going to be there's going to be a kind of a movie moment where you know you meet on a beach and it's all going to be great that's not happening so whatever you do here it needs to be unilateral and i think what you've got to do is forgive your father and you've got to forgive his new wife and you've just got to go to go you know just however you do it you've got to forgive them and let it go because Mm. holding on to the loss and the anger the frustration has achieved nothing it's made you miserable and maybe affecting you as a father to your own twins so whatever you do you've got to let this go and i think the only way you can do that is through forgiveness forgiveness sets you free mm. and and so model your way through that um rob and i think maria's right you probably do need some help but i think you know uh, a counselor or a therapist will help you get to a point where you can travel back in time in your head and forgive this man for you know doing what he did to your little family i mean yes. I, I worry about your mom because i feel like you know 37 years later i wish your mother could talk about it too i mean clearly you are cut from the cl- same cloth the two of you are mm. still very kind of stuck in this thing that happened nearly 40 years ago so I do worry for your mother I mean I do think Graham that of course we don't get through life you're nearly 50 Rob we don't get through life without bad things happening and you know bad things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people all of that but what you have to learn to do Rob is to play the hand you're dealt and to not let something like this this is sort of universal truth to not let the bad overwhelm your life because you'll look back when you're older and think why did I spend so much time wasted I mean you've got 14 year old twins you can have this joy there's laughter you're not your father and you don't want to be defined by something bad that happened to you and I think you're holding on to it for a reason and that reason yeah. is never good and I think presumably at the moment it's all coming back because the twins are more or less the same age as he was when yeah. his dad yeah. left so suddenly it, it's, it becomes very real you kind of think wait wait a minute <laughs> somebody walked out on the, uh, on a, on a child yeah. that age so that, that is horrible um but you're you're absolutely right, Maria. Like, don't stop, stop the shadow, stop the shadow, kind of darkening the rest of your life. You know, because you've had such you've had such joyous things in your life. You know, you've you've got married, you've had these twins. You know, really brilliant, great things. So you know, enjoy the sunshine of that, and don't let this man and what he did cast this big long shadow anymore it, you you can stop this and, and I think yeah absolutely it is about changing the narrative and just yeah oh dear and again my favourite responders will be getting the number one brown but I'm inspired with cognac courtesy of a Waitrose John Staley Bridge Staley Bridge says oh Rob this must be very hard for you as a 13 we are trying to discover who we are I'm guessing this is resurfacing now as you don't want to be the man your father was and indeed is 
Your father is not going to change and nothing you can do can make him change. The only way you can move forward is by letting go and counselling may help with this. With one hand, the past moves us forward and with the other, it holds us back. Angela in Southampton says, Graham, my advice to Rob would be not to give up and maybe have a third party, another family member helping. I had the opposite situation with my cousin who didn't want to meet her dad who she hadn't seen for 30 years. It took seven years with a six-year gap in me contacting her. Now, 12 years on, they are in regular contact. Karen in Hereford says, It sounds like your parents' divorce traumatised you. Having your twins has re-triggered the trauma from the, respect, from the perspective of being a father. Uh, G and M are right. Get some psychological help. Um, as although it was 37 years ago, it feels as though emotionally part of time stopped then for you, which is often the case for such huge emotional traumas. He must have meant a great deal to you and hurt you very much. Wishing you the best. Uh, mince pies. Sean of Bridge will get the mince pies. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio. Always a pleasure to welcome to the show, Martin Kemp. Hey, Hello. nice to be here. Thank uh, you for having me. Uh, that's so kind of you. Uh, listen, uh, I, you know, it's always a pleasure, whatever the reason, TV show, <laughs> whatever it is. But today, a novel. You've yeah. written a novel. Yeah, I mean, uh, over the years, you know, last time I'm, I was in with you, it was about a biography. Yeah, yeah. So I've written... Uh, a few biographies in the past and I've written some movie scripts that have been turned into movies uh, and it was so the novel was kind of like the next step yeah really it was and a I, piece I love, of fiction that was missing and I love this idea so this was a, a, a I mean I don't know is he an alter ego or is he an alternative ego uh, no he is an amalgamation of all the rock stars that I've ever met in my life whether it be Bowie or Freddie Mercury or or boys from Led Zeppelin or Queen whoever it is it is amalgamation and it, it's it basically is about a rock star who loses absolutely everything on his uppers hasn't got a penny left and a friend of his has to put him in a little bed sit above an Indian restaurant in Brick Lane and the Indian restaurant is kind of like dedicated to Elvis yeah. um, and it's about the holes that he digs himself that he has to get out of and that's the thriller so I'll take him through London's underworld yeah, yeah, and I'll yeah. take him on this horrible journey that he would never have imagined that he would be in and Johnny Klein this is a name you have used yeah yeah I mean he it was my pseudonym that used to follow me around the world when I used to tour with Spandau you know when I used to check into those hotels and you didn't want the kids to find out what room number you're in so I would check in as Johnny Klein and then he was on my bag tags on the laminates that used to follow me around, you know. So I've had the name and I've had the kind of like the premise for a book for such a long time. And it was just such a breath of fresh air to get him out and get him breathing yeah, yeah, yeah. and bring him to life. Because you, I think you say in the little intro, you, you pitched an idea for Johnny Klein years ago. Years ago, yeah. I mean, it's not quite the same, but it was uh, as soon as I finished the Kratwin movie, I had this idea because, you know, I, Spandau was coming to an end then. Yeah. And uh, so I pitched the idea, but it didn't really take off because I didn't have it right. But it was an idea that has been on the top shelf of my brain for so long collecting dust that I just wanted to get it out there. So yeah. fiction was the right way to go. And you know, you have 
been so fortunate because you've avoided all the Johnny Klein pitfalls, all yeah. the, all the kind yeah. of the bad luck and the the terrible mistakes Johnny Klein has yeah. made. You didn't. Well, <clears throat> only uh, you know. I don't know how I didn't, but I didn't. But only uh, I think because. I went to a drama school when I was a real young kid. Do you know Anna Sher, who we lost yeah. recently? Yeah, she just died this week. Yeah, last yeah. week she died, last Monday. And uh, she was such a huge influence in my life. And uh, I think because I spent about seven, eight years there, she set me up for the rest of my life. She showed me that uh, whatever you did inside this bubble called entertainment was a piece of theatre. And whether that's... Um, playing in a rock band um, because a lot of guys in rock bands they stop seeing it as a job and as a piece of theatre but they see it as a lifestyle and I yeah. think because of that because of Anna who kind of built my personality at such a young age um, I was able to carry on and do other things but I think a lot of kids when they find a huge success that you found like in Spando mm. they somehow think this is going to last forever but yeah. you were the opposite yeah yeah I mean it was always in my brain I think it's because of once again because of Anna and the way that I came up and watching great actors work in front of cameras and then all of a sudden walk off the the set and go back to being normal people that it became embedded in me that rock and roll isn't a lifestyle yeah. uh, and I think it was because of that and I think it was because of Anna the way that she taught me when I was a kid but you'd have nightmares about it oh yeah listen I, I used to in the middle of the 80s 85, 86 when Spandau were probably one of the biggest bands in the world, even if I say so myself, yeah, no, Graham. But, but just, just, this is just facts. This is facts, <laughs> yeah. ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. But, well, one You're of the allowed. biggest bands in the world. And um, uh, there would be moments when I would think, so where do I go now? What do I do if it all goes wrong? You know, because you're left with absolutely zero. You've got no money to cover you. You've got no future. But all you have is a famous face. And how that would hinder you in getting back into real life. Yeah. So where'd you take that? And that was part of the reasoning behind and part of the idea behind Johnny Klein. He has to get around the hindrance of having a famous face, even though he is on the floor. Yeah. I mean, you've worked in soaps. Yeah. And I always feel that's the hardest thing. When you leave a soap, mm. you're still so famous. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I had this one time, I'll never forget being on, you know, when I was in EastEnders, it was like, 20 million people a night yeah. was watching that show and I remember standing in a supermarket queue and there was this old woman standing uh, in front of me uh, and she turned around and she said I knew it was you I recognised your breathing <laughs> your breathing she recognised the breathing that's famous yeah, that's yeah. famous so, so, so listen but that was EastEnders at its height and in the book Johnny Klein is a rock casualty he's kind of stumbling around, you know, bumping into people he knew from the music scene, trying yeah. to get help. I mean, does that happen to you? Do you bump into other 80s people? And, oh, you know... yeah, listen, my life was filled with uh, knowing rock casualties. I mean, sadly, uh, it really was. I mean, it, usually it was probably the, the guys that suffered the most were the guys that didn't really achieve what they should have achieved. And I think that got to them somewhere along the line, you know. But so many of my friends now, sadly, have passed away and gone uh, and left us behind. And it always seems that it's the big characters that go go first. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I was amongst it. 
Absolutely. Uh, how I came out the other side of it, I'm not sure. Do you think having your brother in the band helped? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he brought my put my feet down on the ground as uh, soon as uh, I started to believe that I was a rock star <laughs> in the middle of the 80s when my feet really did leave the ground. Um, I think having Gary in the band, the minute we looked into each other's eyes, we saw the reality in it. And the reality was we were a bunch of guys just having having fun. Yeah. You know. And, and you know, you talk about uh, Johnny Klein's being this idea you've had a long time and, mm. and you've written movie scripts and stuff. Is one little part of you, as you're writing this book, thinking, I could play Johnny Klein <laughs> they filmed this? Well, yeah, there's a little bit of me, but I think that's a... A dream that most writers have is to get their books into a second book, is to get their book onto a TV or a film or something like that. I think not because... I think because it's kind of the natural progression that you would like to see. Yeah. Um, and especially... In a way, my brain, because of the way that I've been brought up in, I was doing 1970s television, like Play for Today and Comedy Playhouse and all that stuff. Jack, wait, Jack and Nori? Jack and Nori what when I was a young kid. What were you doing as Jack and Nori? Well, every now and again, Jack and Nori used to have little filmed stories rather than someone sitting in the old Jack and Nori oh, chair. Okay, and uh, Gary and I were in it together. And we would play two brothers that were coming back from the Arsenal. Uh, and so we, I must have only been about eight years old at the time, uh, which, so I did all those 1970s TV shows. Uh, and I think my brain works in pictures. It works, you know, in the way that I used to write film scripts and direct a couple of movies. It works when I read things. It works all the time. It's just tickling away in a yeah, movie yeah. style. Actually, in the book, what's great is London is so vivid. And, yeah. and, you, and you dot around it. You've got yeah. East London, you've got West, you know, up West, yeah. all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my, my, my favourite bit in the book, you know, was always writing about Brick Lane. Brick Lane, for me, was a place on a Sunday morning where my dad would take me as a special treat. And we used to go to Brick Lane and then we used to go to the flower market and down to Tower Bridge and around yeah. all that area. And, you know, it was my time with my dad. Yeah. Uh, and Brick Lane just took my breath away every time I went there, just the colours and the smells uh, uh, and the people. And so I just, when I was looking for a place to assess it, it had to be there. It and also, I guess it has that connotation with you too because of the craze, because that film yeah. is so iconic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it was all part of, that's why I think I wanted to bring in all uh, Johnny Klein hits to London Underworld because I knew it so well. You know, I knew yeah. all of those guys from, uh, I was lucky enough when we made the Kratween film that all of the old gang, all of the old relatives, Charlie Cray, um, you know, uh, Reggie, uh, Ronnie, they were all still alive, you know. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot from them. And all of that is inside that book. And did they embrace you and Gary when you were doing that? Or were they a bit resistant to the idea of these two pop stars playing their heroes? Uh, they... Well, I only spoke to Ronnie. I went into Broadmoor and I sat down with Ronnie Cray and Ronnie absolutely loved it. Oh, okay. He yeah. loved the idea of me and Gary, you know, two good-looking young kids playing them in the movies. He absolutely loved it. Uh, the only thing he was very upset with, he said, uh, we would never have used machetes, <laughs> which is lovely for a Sunday morning. God is in the details. Yeah, there you God are. God is in the details. <laughs> but if you want to talk about Ronnie Craig, it is mad. 
Uh, well, uh, there are characters like that and lots of other characters in uh, the game. Yeah. Uh, John Guy. And the book two is on the way? Well, yeah, I'm working on it at the moment and uh, we'll see, we see where it gets to. <laughs> yeah. But listen, I'm having so much fun with it. Um, yeah, I'm working on it, so it should be out sometime next year yeah in the future the future sometime in the next decade but in the meantime the game is out now you can get that in hardback are you not lots of book events as well uh yeah a few it's gonna be a few yeah yeah, so people can go out and yeah yeah see you yeah yeah listen thank you so much for coming to see us not at all my absolute pleasure always a pleasure yeah my take care soon i'll be chatting to another fabulous guest the lovely ruth maidley but first it's lunchtime martha collison hello hello ah nice to see you happy sunday happy sunday nice to see you too yeah hey uh what's on the trolley today martha oh on the trolley today we've got a portobello mushroom tart to tan (laughs) oh now am i right tart to tan normally a sweet thing, right? Normally sweet. Normally apples or plums or some kind of sweet thing that you'd have with custard. But this is a really good vegetarian centrepiece. So if you're putting your Christmas plans together and you're thinking, oh no, I was planning on doing a turkey, but now I've got some vegetarian, some lovely vegetarian friends coming over. It's always an in-law, isn't it? Yeah. somebody Or somebody's <laughs> literally just converted to vegetarianism. You're like, okay, great. Oh, teenage kids. <laughs> teenage kids. Oh, what are you doing? Well, this is something that you could have. Bacon, make and bring. On your table. <laughs> that's a great idea. <laughs> Bacon, make and bring. Or you can do a little practice run now so that you feel confident on the day. Because I think people often lack confidence in recipes if they're, veg- if they're not vegetarian and they know that they have to create something special for vegetarians. So this is a great one. Quite simple, quite straightforward really tasty and and goes with the trimmings which is always important uh, oh, there's lots of tarts but what what makes a tart tatin tart tatin is because it's cooked upside down get so, out of here i know so it, it requires it's quite a, requires quite a fun flip okay quite a fun flip Okay. Out with the pan. It's a bit of drama, a bit of, bit of show, show for your vegetarians. And I guess in a sweet one, it's kind of the, the sugars at the bottom of the pan mm. all caramelises and all this. Stuff. So what's going on here? So this one just got lots of butter, herbs, garlic, a little tiny bit of sugar just to add to the caramelisation of the mushrooms. But it looks quite fun. And you've got some mushrooms the right way up, some upside down. So they all make a nice little oh, pattern. Oh, that's just crazy. A nice little pattern on the top. <laughs> and uh, it comes with some class of a gravy. It does. So it comes with a sherry and garlic sauce. Very indulgent. I know. It really is impressive. I think it might get an ooh or an ah when people brought it. More so than a nut roast, I think. Yes. (laughs) Yes. And also easier to make than a nut roast. I don't even know how to make it, but nut roast, hard. To make nice. Yes, yeah. exactly. So, well, you just buy a nut roast, I suppose. Oh, probably. Might just do a good one. <laughs> <laughs> I, op- I opened my mouth. It was like it just flew back in my throat. Uh, delicious. Very, very nice. That is the portobello mushroom tart. So uh, how do we make it? So we're going to start with, there's there's a lot of mushrooms going on here, as you might expect. Mm. So we're starting with a little pack of Cook's Ingredients dried wild mushrooms. And this is to create a really lovely rich stock. And we're also going to use some of the mushrooms in the tart tatan. So you want to take 15 grams of those, cover them in boiling water, and then they start to soften and infuse and make this really lovely rich stock. Crazy. That goes to one side. Then we are taking our mushrooms. So we've got a two packets. We want one of portobello mushrooms, which are the really big fat ones that you might have on your breakfast plate. Gorgeous. And then a little smaller packet of 
portobellini mushrooms, which are just like little baby portobello mushrooms that were, were cut just bef- before they became <laughs> big I've whoppers. I've never heard of them. I know. Really never, cute. Never, ever heard of them. I've actually been to the Waitrose Farm at the Leckford Estate where they grow all of their mushrooms. And it was so interesting because I, I don't know why I'd never really given it much thought, to be fair. In fairness. As yes. most people probably yeah. haven't. But <laughs> mushrooms, like they start tiny little mushrooms and you can harvest them then to have the little chestnut ones. Or you can let them grow a bit bigger to be portobellini. Or you can let them get all the way to portobello. Oh, my God. It just depends which day you cut them. Okay. It's what they're called. So we're taking both those mushrooms, you're on a big frying pan, and choose one that can go all the way into the oven so that you can make your tartar tan and you're not getting loads of pans dirty. Mm -hmm. Bit of butter goes in there, then we're going to soften the mushrooms, so get them on the flat side first, get a nice little crispy layer, then turn them over, a little bit of water into the pan to cook them almost all the way through. Then those go onto a plate... We're then going to add to the the pan the remaining butter, uh, some nice thyme leaves for a bit of a nice scent, and then the mushrooms go back in, arrange them in a nice pretty pattern. So some of them upside down, some of them the right way up. I see where this is heading. Okay, yeah. Fill all of the little gaps um, with the tiny mushrooms and then your wild mushrooms that should have soaked and become nice and soft by now. Sprinkle over a bit of garlic. Then we're taking a block of puff pastry, rolling it out, and take a dinner plate about the same size as your your saucepan, your frying pan. Cut round it. Tuck that over the top of your mushrooms and then the whole thing is going into the oven for half an hour and then when it comes out we're going to let it set for five minutes just so you don't have hot juices flying everywhere. Put the plate over the top and do the big reveal and it should come out looking beautiful. And in my head I'm thinking wow you could do this with lots of things. Yeah. You could, as long as you've cooked through most things. The mushrooms are great because they cook really yeah, quickly. But I'm thinking like you could do like um, an onion and something or mm. tomatoes or... Onion and goat cheese or something like that would be lovely. Yeah. Tomato works really well. Or if you cook things like butternut squash, or you could even go Brussels sprouts. Hello? Couldn't you? <gasps> you could do the whole Christmas dinner minus the meat. People will be gasping. People will be gasping. In some as, pastry. Yeah. And then... Every, everything was out as a tartar tang. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a stuffing tartar tang. <laughs> that would be amazing. Everyone loves pastry. So you can't you would, go wrong. Yeah. You win a lot of awards for that. Um, and then whilst your tartar tang is in the oven, we're going to make this sauce. So we're taking that mushroom stock that is basically the I liquid. I remember, yes. We made that ages ago, yes. Yep, left from things. That's going into a pan with a little bit of the remaining garlic, some thyme, mm-hmm. a tablespoon of sherry just to add a little bit of luxury a bit of Dijon mustard and some creme fraiche simmer that down for about eight minutes until it's nice and thick and that gets served alongside as a nice little gravy so you've got your centerpiece and your vegetarian gravy all covered and then you can divert your attention to the rest of your meal yeah and they can have everything else yeah, so exactly. yeah so shut up stop complaining i made you a portobello mushroom tartata <laughs> with gravy what more do you want it's uh, a brilliant recipe by ed smith and you can find this recipe and all of his other roast with the most recipes in the waitrose magazine this month if you want oh, to see the rest oh my goodness well if you'd like to see this particular recipe you can go to waitrose.com slash show chef and you can find it along with all of martha's recipes you could also check out how gorgeous it is uh, on our socials at virgin radio uk the graham norton radio show with waitrose food to feel good about virgin radio all right uh, welcome to the show ruth madeley ruth madeley is one of the stars of the 60th anniversary of doctor who uh, welcome hello hello i'm How so happy to be here well lovely to have you here thank you very much for coming in so listen this is a big deal because it's not just 60 years of Doctor Who. It's Russell T. Davies returning to Doctor Who. It's David Tennant returning to Doctor Who. Um, were you up? I, I, you can say no. But were, were you were you 
a fan of Doctor Who before this? I watched little bits growing up. So I mean, no. I can't say I was. <laughs> I can't say I was a proper Whovian, but I always had an appreciation for the show. And during Russell's time, obviously, it was just huge, and yeah. I knew it was going to be a massive thing when he went back. And and by then, I was Russell's mate, so that was all, all, all a good yeah. thing. Shoe in, a shoe in. <laughs> Hi, congratulations. <laughs> yeah. Breaking him up straight away. <laughs> I'll be in Cardiff on Monday. Yeah. Um, so, but this is not just kind of the return of, of uh, Russell D. Davis and David Tennant, but it's also this new version where they've got Disney money. Absolutely. I mean, who doesn't love Disney money? <laughs> so you weren't in it before, but presumably when you, because you've seen, you have seen, you've been lucky enough to see I've, yeah, a I've premiere. Seen, yep, yep. So can you tell that it's slightly, it's gone up a notch? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's a really, it just feels really exciting and right for our time now yeah. it feels great yeah. and it looks amazing but also because you can't imagine you can't expect kids to watch it feeling nostalgic they just want it to be good now absolutely yeah. but, I th- but I think people who've grown up with it will still be like oh my goodness it's not I don't think it's lost anything it's not lost its heart at all now it's all like you know flashy and yeah, and yeah, sparkly yeah, yeah, yeah. It, feel, it still feels very grounded as well okay so the 60th anniversary is three is it three one hours mm-hmm Okay, yep. tell us about the first one. <laughs> first one is called the Star Beast. Yes. What can you tell us about it? Off you go. Now, um, I'll pop to the I, loo because this will go on this for a while. Will go on for a while. <laughs> now, you know what? It's it's such an exciting way to kind of be reintroduced to David and Catherine and Russell and their wonderful team of people. Um, it, you're just going to love it. It's such an exciting episode and. There is that nostalgia there as well. As soon as you see David and Catherine yeah. together, you're like, oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. They work amazingly together. Uh, are we allowed to ask who you are? I play Shirley Ann Bingham. Of course. So that's my character. <laughs> she is a badass. She's great. I just love the fact that she is so... Um, she's so on it. She's northern. She's not frightened of anyone. And I just love that. I've been typecast, basically. Of course. <laughs> and are you... Are you just for the 60th anniversary, are you a treat for that? Or might we see you uh, at a Christmas when Shooty takes over? Well, you will have to keep tuning in, basically. Okay. Um, can't give anything away, but I think you will really enjoy her character and what she brings to the universe. Okay. Yeah. And, I mean, is there any kind of over, kind of arching thing that's happening here? The, what is the Star Beast? So, um... It's already been announced that Miriam Margulies is is the voice of Meep. Okay. So that's exciting. That so you're gonna love Meep. So Meep. is Ma- is Miriam the Star Beast? I I don't I don't know what I can say about that, but she's the voice of, and she makes a she plays a brilliant Meep. Okay. What is a Meep? It's a fluffy little gorgeous creature. Oh, You've okay. seen it all over socials. It's great. Oh, okay. I haven't seen a thing. <gasps> yeah. You need to look. It's no, adorable. My, my algorithm is obviously not. <laughs> it's not Doctor Who friendly. Well, well, it will be now. Yeah. When that... you start looking for the meep, you'll you'll understand. Yeah, now that I've talked to you exactly. and my, phone, my phone's here on the desk. Listening away. <laughs> the minute I leave here, I'll be like, oh, I see what she means. The meep's everywhere. Um, adorable. And how scary does it get? Can you remember that now? It's it's fun, but it's Doctor Who, so there's always going to be darkness in there as well. Yeah. Yeah. Can it be scarier now that, it, you know, because obviously they can spend more money on kind of horrible monsters and things? 
I mean, there's, there's always going to be monsters in Doctor Who, always. There's some great ones. You're going to love them. OK. I feel like one of the detectives in Line of Duty now. <laughs> it, well, this is what it's like. See, I have such anxiety every time. I'm so frightened to not give anything away. But I'm so excited about it all. And I'm dying to tell you everything. Yeah, I know. And and also, how exciting for you just to be part of this big moment of it's, telly. It's such... I feel very, very blessed and fortunate to be part of this in whatever capacity I was asked to be. I would have made the tea. I would have been quite <laughs> happy just being on set in any way. Did you get to go inside the TARDIS? Oh, I can't say. I can't say. Honestly, this is going to be a long interview for you. But wait a minute, wait a minute. Well, whatever about Shirley Ann Bingham being in the TARDIS, mm-hmm. did Ruth Maidley get to go inside the TARDIS? Um, I've I've seen. <laughs> I've seen. This is honestly, this is so hard for you as now. Honestly, I've seen and it's marvellous. You're going to love it. Okay. Oh, is it a new improved TARDIS? I, th- I reckon it's it's had some tweaks. Oh, okay. I reckon so. So, and how long ago did you film this? You can tell it was a long time ago. Yeah, so we filmed last last year. So it's, it's yeah, Doctor Who runs very um, ahead yeah. of time, which is really Is that is because really of fun. all the you know, special effects and things? I'd imagine so. I mean, yeah, they've they've got so much and they have so much content. So it's, uh, it's yeah. done quite far in advance. So in terms of your working life, when did you film uh, The Long Shadow, ITV's Long Shadow? This year. So that's, so, more, yeah, re- so so that's more recent and that came yeah, out. Yeah. yeah. Oh, maybe, oh, was it like, it was either the end of last year or the beginning of this year. So but it certainly, was, yeah. It was, it was after. Yeah. 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 Wow. Because uh, that must be so weird having all this work kind of waiting to... Come. Yeah, I mean, it, it can, that as, as an actor, that is part and parcel. Like when we did... Um, Russell's show years and years that was out really quickly because it was so time sensitive yeah. so and then you can be on another job and it might not come out for two years so it's just uh yeah it's it's a look of the draw and was years and years when you met Russell yeah yeah that was oh, when we first met he cast okay. me in that yeah 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 and what was what's your kind of entry into acting how did this all happen for you uh, my mistake <laughs> <laughs> complete accident you know something I was very much in the right place at the right time and um i always knew i wanted to be in the industry i did script writing at university okay so i always knew that i um wanted to change disability representation but i never thought that it, I, that would be in front of camera yeah but <laughs> so, also it's also it's very hard for an individual mm. you know very hard for you to kind of go i'd like to change well yes you yeah, would absolutely yeah. so um i thought that my contribution would be through writing and that alone. And I remember I was doing some work experience at the BBC and um, I met a producer. They went, oh, we need a wheelchair user. They're, they're casting for something down the down the corridor. Will, will you just go? <laughs> no. So I went purely to be nosy, you know. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I'll, meet, I'll make some more contacts, bit of networking. Um, and I remember going into the audition and having absolutely no clue what I was doing. But the adrenaline hit from it. I was like, oh, I want to do that again. And then when I got the job, I don't know how good I was or how bad everyone else was who was going for it. I don't, I can't say. But <laughs> I got the part. You got it. So I'll yeah. take it. And um, it was when I actually did the job that I loved being on set. And I found it fascinating that there's so many people on set and... You know, everyone has a very specific job and you're all working on the same thing. And I loved that feeling. And yeah, I, um, but I, but even then I didn't really see it as a something that I could 
make a living from. Yeah. <laughs> it was especially not as a as an actor who had a disability. It was it was you know, this isn't sustainable. And um yeah, I feel very blessed and lucky that it ended up being sustainable. It's so sustainable. And is it have has everything you you've done been on film so far or have you done any stage work? I've done yeah, I did the Don Marge. Just literally just as lockdown was coming, so we finished just before the pandemic. Oh, what so was that? It was called Teenage Dick and it was oh, based yes. on Richard the Third, yes, yeah, yes, with yes. the fabulous Daniel Monks as Yeah, as, no, I as, saw that on in on Broadway. Yeah, he, yeah. he's um he, that was that was my first apart from playing Mary in my primary school nativity, which I think set me up for great things because that clearly that is a good role mary (laughs) um so apart from that that was my first introduction into into theater and um it's it was completely different discipline i learned so much from it uh, but the majority of my stuff is is screen yeah i mean what i mean it's extraordinary i mean and also i guess what's great is that that mightn't have happened you mightn't have been on that floor of the bbc on that day no i that's what i mean i mean so much i always say look can get you through the door but it can't keep you in the room you have to work really hard and you have to be good at what you do and you have to keep learning and um i am never the most knowledgeable person in the room ever yeah, so yeah. <laughs> it's good to learn from everyone around you. Yeah, but you must be getting to be more knowledgeable. You, you know, you've got a lot of work on you yeah, right now. Yeah, I, I feel really, really lucky that I can help other people gain access into the industry and, and make it more accessible once you're in there as well for, yeah. for, for disabled people. But also, I, I love my job. I yeah. have the best time. It's so fun. I still can't believe people pay me to do this. But also, there, must be, there must be lots of kind of stupid things on set where you've got to go, you know if you change that, it would make this much more accessible yeah, and much easier. Yeah, and then as soon as you say it, everyone goes, oh, yeah, well, that will make it easier for us with this and this and this. I'm like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's yeah. and it's it's often the really simple things that make life so much easier. Yeah. Uh, listen, congratulations on all your success. You. Long may it continue. Uh, Doctor Who, the 60th anniversary specials. Uh, there's three of them. They begin next Saturday at 6:30 on BBC One. Be there or be square. Uh, no, I'm so looking forward to it. Me it's too. Gonna, I can't, honestly, I can't wait. Oh my gosh, <laughs> to be able to talk about it more will be such a privilege. <laughs> right, yeah, come back. Come back and we'll do another interview the other <laughs> after it's over. All right, take care. Thank so nice you. to see you. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening today. You can catch me every Saturday and Sunday from 9.30 on Virgin Radio. Follow us on all our socials to keep up to date and make sure you check out our YouTube channel too. Just look up at Virgin Radio UK and you'll find loads of great interviews and live sessions. Until next time. The Graham Norton Radio Show with Waitrose. Food to feel good about. Virgin Radio.